0: Welcome back to the pod, guys. It's Austin, and it is the 11th of November. I uh, got some time off work, so I'm recording this episode a little bit early. Uh, We're getting a little bit back on track. Uh, Back to talking about some of the stuff that I have so much love for, uh, getting away from the political talk. I feel like with everything going on in politics right now, it's going to be a long time before we have a clear answer on any of it, really. So, uh, with that said, Today, what I'm going to talk about is something I've gotten a lot of questions about lately um, from a lot of different people, whether uh, it's friends of mine that are new shooters or uh, maybe they've shot before, but they've mostly just been hunting um, or, you know, people that neither, you know, they have no experience Um, and that's on building an AR. Um, During the beginning of lockdown, I really kind of pushed my own personal limits in terms of what I was able to do here in my own home. Uh, ability wise, uh, you know, purchased some of the tools and things like that, uh, that really made the, the build process easier. Um, and that's, and, and, you know, that's not to say you need to run out and buy all this at once. Uh, you don't need to necessarily, you know, go go out and do anything. Uh, maybe this is just for informative purposes for you. Um, but you know, if you're one of the people right now thinking about buying a rifle, uh, whether it's an AR-15, um, an AK 47 or one of the AK platform variants, uh, maybe something like a bullpup, uh, where the magazine for, you know, in layman's terms, the magazine's located behind the pistol grip instead of in front of it. So you, it's a little bit more compact of a setup. They're more expensive, but, uh, you know, I've, I've heard good things about some of them, uh, or maybe looking at a, a nicer SIG platform, something that's like piston driven. I don't know. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions on it. So I really, I haven't wanted to do this episode for a while. Um, then there's, a starting point for everything. And I feel like it's really easy if you don't have the right starting point to become, uh, I guess frustrated or, uh, or, or to waste money really, <clears throat> um, with this endeavor. What I mean is, um, it's really easy. Uh, cause I, I've gone through this in different phases and stuff is, uh, you see, you seek something out and you're, man, that looks cool. I really want that. And you go out and you get it, and you're invested in it, um, and then you realize, hey, this might not have been all it was cracked up to be, or maybe I kind of uh, bit off more than I could chew type of, type of thing, uh, where it really just doesn't make the most amount of sense. Now, if you want to just spend the money to spend the money, hey, more power to you, man. Uh, I've made those purchases, uh, You know, sometimes buyer remorse, sometimes not. But what I find is most can, uh, everything pretty much falls into, uh, one of these four conveniently recognized categories. Okay. Um, either you're, you're trying to, to build this rifle, um, for one of these four reasons. Okay. Either you're going to use it for hunting and that's going to be a drastically different setup from the rest of what kind of what we're talking about. Uh, you have it for home defense. Uh, you have it for like a recce style build, or recce rec- is uh, I-, I believe it's like an English slang for like recon or reconnaissance. Uh, maybe some in these I guess simplified terms would be something like a scout rifle, or if you lived out uh, in the rural areas, um, we do a lot of like hunting, uh, not necessarily hunting, but hiking, I should say. Um, and you may need to reach out a bit further, um, or if this is something for like carrying in your vehicle. And all of these have some pretty, uh, some pretty decent overlap, as well as uh, you know some pretty uh, specific characteristics that set them apart. Hunting rifles are pretty specifically going to be in larger calibers, um, probably with longer barrels, because with hunting you want to reach out to longer distances, and if you're hunting for food, anything that's like a will qualify as any kind of big game, white-tailed deer, larger. Um, you really need to start, you need to be looking at calibers over the standard three556 NATO round, um, for penetration purposes. Um, two, two, three, five, five, six is a fast round, but it's not going to take down a deer. Um, and the number of rounds that you're limited to hunt with, uh, you're gonna have to reload and th- it's not conducive. You really need to put it down with one shot. So, uh, popular hunting calibers, at least in the AR, um, you get into things like 308 Winchester, 6.5 Creedmoor. Um you could look at something like 350 Legend if your state has uh areas where you can uh we call it the rifle line here in Michigan. I don't know if it's the same in every state. Uh but the rifle line basically above the rifle line you can hunt with uh, large caliber rounds. Below the, the rifle line you can't uh hunt with any rifle calibers that the cartridge has a shoulder. Um so 350 Legend uh 450 Bushmaster are are really common and uh popular here for that reason. Um, and you can find them online. You can buy specific lowers and uppers, uh, you know, for AR rifles that are chambered, uh, in that, but it's more common in a bolt gun. Honestly, uh, my personal recommendation, at least for flexibility and giving yourself more than one use would be, (coughs) excuse me, if you're building an AR, um, platform rifle for, uh, you know, hunting, but you also want to use it for defense or maybe long-distance target shooting, I would really recommend looking at 308 Winchester or 6.5 Creedmoor um, just because of the ballistic performance um, and the flexibility of those two rounds, both when uh, knocking down a human at a distance versus and, you know, knocking down uh, wildlife at a distance. Um, that said, uh, home defense. Home defense, uh, you know, you can go A couple different ways with it. A short barrel, uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, a longer, you know, 16 inch standard barrel, I know is, is pretty common if you're just going to the store to buy one. But if you're building one, obviously you can pick your barrel length. You have a couple of choices. You also have a couple of considerations um, under today's laws. You can't really go any shorter for a rifle unless you're going to do a, a tax stamp and make this a, a short barrel rifle under the NFA. Um, you, you, you could go with like a 14.5 inch barrel, but you'd have to make sure that your muzzle device, um, your flash hider, your muzzle brake, whatever it is, is pinned and welded, uh, onto the barrel, essentially making it part of it. Uh, if it's, if it can be removed, it's not part of it. And when they do the overall measurement of your rifle that has to come off and then they measure from the end of the threads, um, all the way down to the end of your buffer tube. So if it's welded and it can't be removed, then you can obviously, you add about an inch and a half or two inches. Um, But home defense, you can also do an AR pistol, something in a shorter barrel, like uh, 10.5 to 11.5 are pretty common right now, uh, just in terms of availability in stock. Well, or or they were pre-COVID. You see a lot of setups now. 11.5 is really popular. Uh, The 10.5 is popular because um, of cloning largely um it was the gen one of the uh, or sorry block mod zero whatever block one uh of the mark 18 which was essentially your standard uh carbine length upper uh m4 chopped down to a ten and a half inch barrel so it was more compact in the arm services so um you know and i apologize if you guys can hear the dog he's kind of going nuts right now must be the mailman but uh it was chopped down to 10 and a half inches. So that made it really popular. And as a result, right now, you can find a lot of 10 and a half inch uppers, uh, available, uh, a lot of 10 and a half inch barrels, <clears throat> um, for the five, five, six round, which I feel like for home defense, it's probably what you're going to be going with. You really don't want to go any shorter than 10 and a half inches, um, because it really, uh, starts to affect your ballistic performance. So, uh, keep that in mind. I know you can find, seven inch nine inch barrels out there and that's fine um but just if you're gonna go shorter than that i'd recommend maybe stepping up to a little bit uh heavier round, something like uh, 300 blackout um, if you're building this rifle for, for recce or recon purposes, um, again, <clears throat> if you live out in the country, you need to reach out and touch somebody. Um, it's going to affect your setup a bit. Um, I wouldn't go any shorter than like a 14 and a half inch. Uh, the longer the barrel, the more accurate you will be to a distance. Um, the trade-off is obviously the less mobile you'll be, the longer the barrel. So for things like home defense and, and close quarters usage, that 10 and a half that 11 and a half inch, uh 11 and a half inch barrel really lends itself uh, to getting through doorways and around corners and just uh, how you can manipulate and maneuver the weapon right um, but it's gonna affect how accurate you can be to a distance but you know it's if it's mission specific right um, is a term that's used a lot you know you're you building it for home defense then you don't need to be reaching out you know past 200 yards or 100 yards or something because that's that's you know that's not your concern with a recce build it's not uncommon to see something like a 16 inch barrel maybe even an 18 inch i would stay away from anything over that um it it gets real heavy and cumbersome and then even even, you know with it slung on your back and stuff uh weight's always a consideration with getting around you can get a 20 inch barrel i just i think uh at at most you'd want to go somewhere between a 14.5 to an 18 inch for something that's recce designed um <clears throat> with something like that you're probably going to want a magnified optic something that you can go from low magnification to high whether that's like a one to six or a one to eight um or uh you probably put some kind of high rated uh hunting glass on there like a three to nine or a three to fifteen um and reach you know get some good magnification on that um it just it depends on your personal usage. You're probably going to want to invest in some shorter magazines, uh, things like that, too. Now, if you're building this, the last one I put on my list here was for for vehicle use, right? Um, <clears throat> and in different parts of the country, you know, truck guns are a thing. A lot of people have those uh, Mossberg, um, what are they, the shockwave, right? Like the short, the, the no-stock Short barrel, uh, pump action shotgun, right? Uh, and they keep those in their truck. That's their that's their truck gun. And we've all seen those uh, movies and stuff with the rifle racks behind the front bench seat and the old pickup, right? So a lot of people have a truck gun, um, AR pistols. <clears throat> defined so because they have a pistol brace are becoming are, are moving to become that option, especially so you put a pistol brace on it and it. Uh, kind of get you around that SBR rule. You don't have to get a tax stamp for it. You can have a little bit shorter barrel, which of course makes getting it in and out of the vehicle as well as even concealing it a little bit easier. Um, from what I've seen, at least if you're keeping it in a truck, about 11 and a half inch barrel is kind of what you're looking at. Um, and you can also do things like add a law tactical folder. Um, on your standard gas impingement ar-15 platform you have a buffer tube that's off the back end of the lower receiver your buffer rides back and forth on a spring in there as the bolt carrier comes back it helps soften the recoil um and, sl- and helps cycle the weapon <clears throat> um but what the law folder does is actually extends off the back of the receiver and it, it, it there's a small attachment on the back of the the bolt carrier um and it, basically what that does is it allows for a hinge to be inserted in the middle of this um, <clears throat> so that you can fold up your pistol brace and buffer tube alongside of the upper receiver making it a smaller more compact um, package downside you cannot fight you can fire it once Um, although I'm pretty sure law, uh, law tactical, the company, not written law, uh, discourages that because there's like a grommet in there that wears out, but you can replace that. I mean, um, you could under stress, you could fire one round from it. Then you'd have to open it and cycle the, the bolt, um, but it, it folds up, makes it nice and compact, so you can put it behind a seat, you can put it, uh, next to your leg while you're sitting in a vehicle, <clears throat> you can have it folded up, uh, you know, in the leg space of your passenger seat if you're driving around and then your rifle's riding shotgun, um, takes up just less space, a little more convenient, or it can be fit into a variety of bags, just depending, um, you know, for a truck gun, um, what I was kind of briefly mentioning, uh, we talked about barrel length, the other, the other piece of that you have to look at, and this is where it gets a little bit, you know, uh, convoluted, um, is your barrels projected performance with your, like with your rounds and things. Um, we talked about not going under the 10.3 or the 10.5 inch barrel, um, and suppose anything other, under that, the, the five, five, six round was designed to achieve tumbling, um, over 2,500 feet per second. That's what makes the round effective. If you have a shorter barrel than that, um, the round won't get up pat like past that point. Um, and you lose the stopping power. You lose what makes that an effective round. Um, will it still hurt somebody? Yes. Will it still kill somebody? Potentially. Um, however, for close quarters application, like I was saying, you probably want to look at a different round, um, for your purposes then like a 300 blackout, which is a, a bigger round that still <clears throat> fits in a five, five, six magazine will still run off a five, five, six lower just requires a different barrel. Um, it will not, <laughs> I repeat it is a larger bullet. Um, it will not work on a two, two, three, five, five, six barrel. Um, And by the way, for none of this, guys, uh, just because I was talking to a buddy the other day who brought this point up, um, you do not have to have a CPL for any of this, a concealed carry license. Um, Well, if you have a truck gun, you might want to get that just because your state laws get kind of hairy as to where you can and can't have things loaded in the vehicle. Um, If you have a CPL, an AR pistol can be loaded in the vehicle with you. Um, If you don't have a CPL, again, not required to own a gun. Um, but if you don't have a CPL and you're, you have one of these AR pistols in your vehicle as like a truck gun, um, it can't be transported like with the ammunition. It has to be secured separately from your ammunition. There's a whole bunch of different laws. So while it's not needed, we obviously here at prepared mindset, um, really, really advocate for getting your CPL. Cause it makes things just a lot easier. You have a lot more, uh, you have more responsibility. Yes. But you have some more freedoms. Um, but yeah, getting back to it, um, don't go short. Don't go any shorter than a 10.5. Um, if you're going to run a two, two, three, which I think a lot of people are, um, just for optimum performance. Um, the other thing you want to look at when you're looking at your barrel is your barrel twist. Um, and this, it can get really convoluted. Um, I'm going to try and give you guys some of the simplest, um, explanations, uh, and how it practically applies. If you're looking at something for hunting or for a recce setup where you're going to be reaching out to a longer distance, your bullet weight becomes a factor. Like how many, you know, uh, 55 grain, 62 grain, um, are common for target shooting. But I know you can get up into like 69 grain and stuff your barrel twist. Okay. You'll see, uh, these divine are uh, defined as a ratio, right? Like a one to seven, one to eight, one to nine, um, Your twist rate is the rate of spin in the rifle barrel. Um, It's basically, it's inches per turn. Um, It's important, like I was saying with your bullet weight, that there's an an adequate twist rate to stabilize the bullet you're shooting. So one to 10 twist means the, the rifling inside the barrel will actually spin that bullet one revolution every 10 inches that it travels. So um the lower that ratio, <clears throat> the lower number of the twist, the faster the twist rate uh that the bullet's gonna spin. So like a one to eight will be one revolution every eight inches, one to ten will be one revolution in ten inches. Um if a specific round and they'll tell and it'll tell you on the box what the recommendations are for optimum performance, at least for premium ammo manufacturers. If it's target ammo, it might not. Um Some of that stuff just mass produced for the hell of mass producing it. And it's not ever intended to have maximum, uh, repeatable performance. But, um, if the bullet has a twist recommendation of one in 10, it'll be stable, um, when fired from any rifle, having a one in 10 twist or faster. So a one in nine would work fine, but like a one in 11 inch or, you know, a one to 11 might not, um, one to 10 and one to nine twist barrels will work just fine with 55 grain projectiles. Um, they'll also handle the heavier grain bullets. Uh, those two twist rates are situated in the middle of the pack. Generally speaking, they allow you to shoot a wider variety of bullets than any of the uh, more slow twist barrels. Um, if you go beyond one to nine barrels do a better job with heavier bullets and don't perform as well with lighter ones. Um, which again, it depends on what you're working towards, um, not to say that accuracy isn't important, but with CQB, your accuracy out at a great range, out at a great distance, isn't as important as it is up close. So a lot of this largely won't impact you. Now, if you're talking about target shooting and marksmanship shooting, this this is really, um, this is really important stuff. And uh, there's some great information on this online, guys. Uh, I'm not gonna keep digging into it because I feel like I'm gonna lose you here. Um, but you really, you want to check out if you're target shooting, if you're looking to get the match shooting or even hunting, um, even if you already own the rifle, maybe just for your own peace of mind. If you're wondering why you can't get, you know, that next level of accuracy, look up your particular rifle, whether it's a bolt gun or an AR, okay? Because this really isn't AR specific. Um, but look up what the, the, what ammo you're shooting. If you have a favorite brand or a favorite, you know, like Winchester or White Box, or whatever, I don't know. Uh, you know, look up your ammo, look up the rifling on your on your barrel. Um, check it out. See, maybe, maybe um there's something to it, right? Maybe there that's part of the reason why you're maybe not getting the best accuracy or you're you're struggling to repeat the same results. Maybe you need to spend more money on more premium ammo. Um I don't know if that's always necessary. I mean, I feel like that's a that's an excuse some people throw out. Um human error, I believe uh more often than not is the biggest issue in a lot of those things. Um but it, I mean every little bit helps. So if you're able to find some different kinds of ammunition, something that's a little more premium, um and accuracy really is important for you, um when, you know you're out hunting or something then you know check it out, man. Uh do your research, figure it out uh, and see how it applies to what you're shooting. Um now, <clears throat> while we're still talking about the barrel, let's talk about muzzle devices, right? Because we're talking about it, you have to your barrel fourteen and a half inches, pinning and welding your muzzle device. Um, make sure your overall length is twenty six inches or greater. Um, now, if you have a sixteen inch barrel, or if you're going the AR pistol route and you have a shorter barrel, and you're just trying to figure out what the best muzzle device is for you, most barrels. uh I should say, most rifles, if you buy like a full upper or a full rifle from a store or a retailer, it'll come with uh, a muzzle device. Typically, it's your standard A2 birdcage flash hider. Uh, they call it a birdcage because it looks like a birdcage. Um, they're cheap, they're easy, uh, they do a good job. Um, they protect the threads on the barrel and they mitigate flash. It's not going compl- it, to It's not going to completely mitigate all of the flash, but it, it does a pretty good job. That's why it's standard on that rifle. Um, flash hiders do just that. They hide the muzzle flash. Um, they're not going to make it any quieter, um, but it's also going to make it a little bit more enjoyable to shoot. Um, now, the next you could talk about a muzzle brake, uh, which <clears throat> muzzle brakes are more and more common. Uh, muzzle brakes and compensators are more and more common with like competition shooting on, uh, AR platform rifles. Um, they don't worry about flash hiding as much if at all, especially not on a muzzle brake. But, um, what their primary function is, uh, while on a flash hider, it doesn't worry as much about the gases, um, and where the recoil gases are pushing that barrel around. Um, it just worries about mitigating that flash. It's the complete opposite with the muzzle brake so it doesn't worry about your flash signature at all what it does is it pushes those uh gases at the end of the barrel out sideways or depending on how you time it i guess it could be upward to help push the barrel down but if it pushes out sideways it's going to help flatten it out right you're not gonna get as much muzzle rise after each shot which to be completely honest with you on like a 223 or a 556 gun if you're even a remotely decent sized person you really don't need it now if you're shooting competition uh then then you might you know speed matters in competition shooting and you want to go you know down that plate rack as fast as you can go for it um but for typical self-defense shooting like what we're talking about here you really don't need a muzzle break uh on a 223556 gun if you're building this in like 308 or 65 creed th- then you might want it just for your own personal comfort those rounds do kick a lot more um you know, an accuracy is a consideration because uh, you're reaching out to a distance. Uh, now, that said, um, if you're working in some kind of a team situation, um, whether you're law enforcement and military or, you know, you're, it's just you uh, and your buddy next door or your good friend, maybe you guys have a plan that if, if shit goes sideways, whatever, you're going to get together with your families and then you're going to get out together or something. Um, in a team situation, you don't want to be blowing all that gas out onto the guy next to you. It's just, A, it's annoying, but B, it can be a distraction. Um, I know I've been at the range before when somebody rents one of these ARs. Hell, my brother had one on on his for a while. Um, I mean, you really, even if you're, you're three, four, five, whatever feet apart, um, you still really feel that, that gas getting blown out of that gun. And it's really annoying. Um, so if you really want it to be super flat shooting and you don't want to feel any recoil, go ahead and go with the muzzle brake or a compensator. Um, however, I, I really don't think it's needed if you're just running it on a two, two, three, five, five, six gun. Um, <clears throat> they also have the blast forwarding devices now that work in a similar fashion. They don't really mitigate the recoil, but rather than pushing those gases out sideways, um, pushes it out forward away from the shooter, um, kind of acts in a little bit of a similar fashion, I guess. Um, one really popular one is the Surefire, uh, Warden, which I currently run on my, uh, 11 and a half inch setup. Uh, my brother's running on his 10.5, uh, <clears throat> block one build. Um, and that's just to keep the blast away from you and point, you know, it points like the concussion and the sound out away from you. Um, it's going to help hide the flash a little bit. It's going to help push those gases out a little bit. Um, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a poor man's suppressor without the noise suppression, I guess. Um, I got it because I, I thought it was, the the quick lock on it was cool, um, and I wanted to try out something a little bit different. Not necessary, uh, more of a convenience factor, but it does, like I was saying, it does make it a little bit more enjoyable to shoot. Um, I know there's ones that directly thread on, there's, more, there's other ones out there, there's flash cans and things like that that kind of do a similar uh, a similar role that direct thread onto the barrel. They don't like QD, uh, quick on, quick off or anything. Um, I wanted something I could take off if I wanted to. Um, and also in the near future here, we're going to be looking at, uh, getting a suppressor. So I wanted something that would, you know, interchange with everything I had. So Surefire has got a great system built for their, uh, their muzzle devices. So that's what I went with. Um, now the last piece of this, obviously, it, like I was saying, it was a suppressor. Um, you can get for less money. You can get suppressors that um, you can build yourself. You just got to have some machining done. Um, you got to get. Like, I think it's a form one tax stamp on those, um, or you could purchase a suppressor. Um, it takes a little bit longer. Um, the cheaper ones will direct thread on. The more expensive ones, um, <clears throat> made by companies, will have some kind of QD, some kind of quick detach. Um, that's what QD is. So for those who don't know, QD quick detach, um, built into their brand, their company's specific muzzle devices. So whether it's advanced armament, whether it's surefire, whether it's Griffin or, you know, whatever company, um, they'll have their own proprietary method for locking on and off. So what you'll do is you'll pick either a muzzle brake or a flash hider, um, and then you can get the company's suppressor that will lock on and lock off accordingly. Um, it does require some more cleaning, uh, a little bit more maintenance uh, as you shoot through it. Not a huge deal if you're not shooting a ton, though. Um, it's kind of nice if you're shooting for hunting. It's, uh, it, it's, just, it's, it's one of those kind of uh, luxury things that really starts to lend itself to a lot of applications. Um, it's the best case scenario because it, it really does hide your flash signature. Um, in none of these cases, with the exception of maybe like 300 blackouts, um, you know, if that's what you want to build your AR and it's 300 blackout, 300 blackout, uh, with like the most, some of the most or more premium, I should say, ammunitions like subsonic, supersonic ammo out there, um, will get pretty quiet. N- in no case is a suppressor going to make this thing whisper quiet. Like you see. In Hollywood movies that's one of the biggest myths out there and it's something that like when people bring it up to me uh, I had a discussion I, I will forever remember it at a bonfire a couple years ago and one of my friends just got like super like up on a soapbox about it you don't need a suppressor that's ridiculous who who needs a silencer I go listen man it doesn't make it that quiet it just makes it safer to shoot around well then why do you need it if you already have hearing pr- hearing protection Go because you can always have more, and it's still going to be loud enough that everyone knows what's going on. It just can make a little bit, it just takes the edge off of it. Um, that's the kind of message that's that's, you know pushed out by the mainstream media. It's really annoying. Uh, none of these rounds are going to get whisper quiet with a suppressor, but um, at nighttime or when it's starting to get dark, it'll help hide the flash signature, which is according to a lot of guys that have been in firefights and stuff. <clears throat> that's the real value to having a suppressor. Um, now the next the last kind of piece of this is the handguard that's going to go around your barrel. There's a lot of stuff out there guys. Um, my the one piece, if you walk away from this part of this and there's there's one thing that you walk away from, it's don't buy the cheapest, shittiest thing that you can find and throw it on the rifle because it's just the handguard. Just because it looks the same as some of the other brands does not mean it's going to stand up the same way. And <clears throat> I've seen and heard videos, stories, whatever, of people bending handguards, cracking and breaking them. It's the only thing that protects your your uh, your gas tube and uh, your barrel, okay, is your handguard. And it's what you're holding on to. So uh, you don't have to get the most expensive thing out there. I know there are some very expensive handguards out there by companies like Geissele, um, And they're nice. They're super lightweight. They're well-made and everything. You don't need to go that uh, Gucci with it, but get a decent handguard, okay? Um, If you are buying something that's a carbine length rifle, it's got your standard triangular A-frame, like, you know, M4 sight on it, it's pretty popular. You can get a drop-in rail, um, like a quad rail, quad, because it's all four sides, top, bottom, left, right, have Picatinny rail on it. Um, they drop in clicks in behind a delta ring and a collar between the front sight and your upper receiver basically. And that'll do you for a lot. Um, the first one that I ran on my uh, AR pistol right when I got it was like a $30 cheapo from, uh, eBay. And I was happy with that for the first couple months just cause I was super low budget on everything. Um, it'll work. It just, they're, it's actually heavier than some of the nicer uh, brands, but I don't, it's almost twice as heavy, believe it or not. Um, and it's not the most durable. Um, <clears throat> now that said, uh, it, you know a drop-in um, carbine-length handguard is fine. Just know that uh, you might not be able to reach out as far as you want to comfortably. If you got short arms, you'll be fine. But for me, I'm a big guy. I wanted to be able to reach out. Closer towards the end of the barrel, so I had my front sight post removed, had a uh, a free floated handguard, so like a 15 inch handguard that goes the whole length of the barrel, put on my 16 inch rifle. Um, and there's, you can still get full length uh, quad rails, they're just they're really heavy guys. I'd really recommend looking at something like Keymod, uh, which looks like a little key, it's got a little keyhole looking things all the way up and down it, uh, or M-Lock which is uh, kind of become the new standard. It's what mil- the military's, the American military I should say is moving forward with, um, just looks like straight slots all the way down it. Um, and you can use those two different styles of attachment to attach small sections of Picatinny railing. Um, if you need to attach a light or a laser or uh, a grip or whatever, um, a lot of companies are starting to come out with stuff that's more specific to m and key mod as far as grips and light mounts and things. So you don't have to have that extra weight um, and heft that comes with putting a picatinny section on it. And a lot of them still have it running across the top. So you can still attach your backup site or your main sight, whatever, on the top or a laser, your pressure pad for your light, all that stuff will still mounts the picatinny rail on top of the handguard. It's just the the rest of it is pretty slick and a lot more lightweight. Um one thing to look for when you're buying the handguard cuz a lot of the times it'll it comes with the barrel nut. Um that it mounts to okay because they're not all the same some of them have teeth that stick out uh some of them are smooth and it's just like a friction lockup. um some of them have different locking methods with the the hand guard to the barrel nut make sure you get some of the steel barrel nut Um, the big thing is you don't want something that's going to flex um soft metals uh for something that you want to really and and also it, it holds the barrel in right Um, it collars over the end of the barrel and that gets torqued down and tightened down to your upper receiver. It's essentially the barrel nut is what the handguard holds holds onto, but it's also what keeps the barrel attached to your upper receiver. So don't get something made out of aluminum, uh, soft metal stuff that heats up and will warp. Um, that's going to cause accuracy issues and durability issues. Neither of which are things that you want on a rifle you're going to use for, uh, anything really. Um, so look for a steel barrel nut, make sure, um, that's something that you you don't really sacrifice on. If it's just a drop-in rail, um, like one of the ones with the D-ring and a front sight post, those won't come with it because it, it you won't be changing it. Those are just drop-in. They're pretty easy. Um, now, moving further back on the rifle a bit, um, we can talk about optics really quickly. Uh, red dots are pretty popular now. I know a lot of older shooters will say, well, you don't need an optic. You should be able to just shoot fine with just iron sights. And there's definitely some logic and some reason to that. You should be able to uh, shoot with just your, your iron sights. However, the, uh, there's a meme, right? Uh, the future is now, old man, right? Uh, it, there's so many options out there for red dot sights, whether it's a regular red dot, uh, like uh, like an aim point, and little tiny little red dots, Um there's a lot of companies making that style, uh, or it's holographic, something like an EOTech, uh, or Vortex has their UH one. That's also a holographic type optic. Um, you know, and they the, the nicer ones, are, they're all getting nicer, honestly, as time goes on and as technology is becoming more common, which pushes the price down on everything, makes it a little more accessible for us normal folks. Um, there's less parallax, um, you know, you want a parallax free optic for a sight to be parallax free. It basically, it, it means that when you, uh, when the sight's on the target and you move your head around, right, the radical doesn't move with it. So you're not going to obscure your line of sight basically. Um, as you move your head behind the rifle, it'll still give you an accurate picture. If your head's not perfectly behind the optic, um, <coughs> excuse me. It's kind of insignificant, um, when the typical red dot sight use, uh, uses are considered, um, so that's why reflex sites are usually described as parallax free. Um, but it's a consideration, right? If you're, it's more important if you're trying to reach out to a distance, um, something that kind of bridges the gap here. So you have a red dot site, um, the popular ones before I, sorry, move on popular ones. You see, like I, th- I started off with a, uh, Bushnell TRS 25, pretty basic. Um, you can find them online for as cheap as 50 bucks. Uh, I've had no issues with mine. I put one, one's on a shotgun. The other one's on my uh, upper build that I'm doing right now. Um, used it for a while. I just wanted something a little bit nicer. Nothing wrong with it. Never had any issues with it. Still works three years later or whatever, four years later, five years later. Um, Vortex Crossfire 2 is what I run on my 11 half inch um, nothing crazy about it. It's just uh, straight up on and off, no shake awake, but it's got the Vortex lifetime warranty. Uh, comes with a couple different mounting and riser options. Um, it's just about $150. bucks. can not really beat it, right? And in that same line, you got like the Sig Romeo uh, series red dots, um, the Vortex Spark, uh, Holosun has a bunch of them. The, between the 150 and 200 range, you get shake awake or some of them have like a, a solar cell on the top to as a backup source to the battery or you know stuff like that um they're all good options okay uh primary arms uh is another company that makes some that are also pretty reliable uh good things don't the the thing is you want to spend or you know i mean if you find something on sale around 100 120 bucks okay don't buy something cheap crappy that you find if it comes in like cellophane wrapping and it's hanging on a shelf uh you know from like sight mark or true glow or something at your local walmart or meyer probably not the best thing to be throwing on your ar it's probably not going to hold up for very long um and it probably won't hold zero so uh save up a little bit get something that's at least decent uh, i can't recommend vortex enough the lifetime warranty you, you know if you're really on a budget and you want to make sure your purchase is protected get something with with a good warranty um, I know hollow sun does good stuff. Uh, Leopold also has a much, it, it's much more expensive, but they have a holographic optic. Um, a lot of these companies have lifetime warranties on them. Uh, so do that research first, but don't, I would caution you, I guess, to, to, you know, make an investment into something like this, um, with a company that doesn't have a, a warranty, uh, when there are so many great options out there that do, um, the other, other option that's becoming really popular right now is a lpvo a low powered variable optic what this is essentially um it's with those tubular scopes that you're used to seeing on rifles um low powered so anything under like a 10 power you're seeing things from like uh, a one times magnification and as you twist you get to a higher magnification i run a one to six on my Reky setup sam has a one to eight on his i know vortex just released a one to ten that's extremely expensive um and from what i'm told doesn't work that well yet but um basically it allows kind of the best of both worlds where you can use it on a one times magnification uh for a close up and then obviously for target acquisition um or distance shooting you can dial up the power um the sacrifice is it's not quite i mean it can be as quick as a red dot it's just it's heavier um most times they don't come with a mount or if they do come with a mount it's not as good um there's and it takes a little bit more practice to understand how to use it right um but it is becoming more popular because, uh, as the quality of optics is getting better and better, and the technology continues to grow, we start to see some of these things offered cheaper and cheaper. Um, again, Vortex. Uh, I have a Strike Eagle one to six. Sam has a Strike Eagle one to eight. That's their budget line at Vortex, but they have a lifetime warranty. So far, I have had no problems with mine. I've heard mixed reviews on it. I get it, um, but we've had great experiences with those. Uh, kind of the the. Uh, I don't want to say sacrifice, but the, uh, the 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 middle ground, okay, I'll call it the middle ground between these two is uh, you get a little bit of both, right? You can run a red dot with a flip up magnifier and a lot of you guys go, oh yeah, Call of Duty, I love that shit. Um, flip up magnifiers are still at the point where I feel like unless you're spending a ton of money on something like an aim point magnifier or an EOTech, you're really paying a lot of money for it. Um, you have to be a little more careful. Um, I do own the first gen uh magnifier for Vortex. Uh I spent like 250 on it, I think, at the time. Uh the flip-up mount for it, not great. The way you have to activate it and articulate it is not awesome. Um, the eye relief is not great either, so you really gotta get up on it. It works well um for what it is. It's just the mount is my biggest problem with it. And the eye relief, I know Vortex has since released a gen two, that's supposed to be a bunch better. I just haven't really gotten my hands on one to, uh, to try it out and, and work on that stuff to see how it, uh, compares. Um, you're not going to get as good of a picture as you would with an LPVO. However, um, you know, that's, that's the rub, right? Um, you get kind of, uh, some features of each world the no magnification red dot versus the magnified uh lpvo so it depends if you're building a rec you set up, uh something for long distance recon shooting you probably want to lpvo um if you're building it for hunting. You're definitely going to want a powered optic that can get up to, I would say no less than a three by nine. Um, but just make sure that the optic is rated for whatever round that you're putting through it. Um, some of these optics are only rated for two, like 22 long rifle or two, two, three, five, five, six. And you start hammering on them with like three Oh eight or whatever. Um, they don't last. Uh, and again, that goes on doing your research and buying from a reputable company uh, that's going to put that product information out there in the open and isn't going to try and conceal any of it in the name of selling more merchandise. Um, so do, do some digging. Don't just jump at a good, you know, oh, it's a great deal, but it might not be because you might be wasting your money and in a year have to replace it or less. Um, while we're talking about optics, an- another good consideration, um, if you can, uh, backup sites, um, most rifles now come with like a flip up, uh, set of plastic Magpul sights that are spring loaded, um, or at least the rear sight. Well, I know my M sport AR 15 did. Um, that's just to give you something out of the box you can shoot with Magpul does make metal sights that are obviously a lot higher quality. Um, it depends, you know, uh, a lot of people say you don't need them anymore because you could run a backup red dot, like, My recce build, I have an off, uh, like a 45 degree red dot, and I have my six power scope on top. So if one goes down, I can use the other, and I really don't need the backup sights. If you're not running a backup red dot sight on your rifle, then, you you know, okay, uh, off-angled 45 degree iron sights are a thing. You can look into those. Backup flip-up sights, you could look into some of those. Um it just depends. You could, if you're just running a red dot, you could run fixed irons that attach to your rail, uh, and your receiver. So you're kind of looking through the iron sights all the time. You're just looking for that red dot. Um, and if that were to go down, then obviously you'd revert to looking for your iron sights. comes back. It it all comes back to training. Um, and what your methodology, what your opinion in school of thought is, uh, a lot of this for people is whoever you were taught by or trained by, um, you pick up a lot of their method and a lot of what uh, they believe in. Uh, it's a person to person preference. Uh, really, I, I don't prefer to have my backup or have my iron sites clouding my site picture. Um, I run backups or I'll run an offset. Um, I don't want to have to look through one site to find the dot to look past the front post, you know, uh, less is more for me. So I just want a clear picture. I want to find that red dot and I want to go for it. So, uh, to each their own, but backup sites are, are certainly a consideration. Um, something else to think about is a white light. Um, statistically, bad guys do shit at night. Duh. Um, you can't. You shouldn't be, no you can't, but you should not be shooting at what you cannot positively identify as a threat. Um, regardless if you live in the city, the country, whatever, it could be your kids sneaking home one night, you know, you don't want to shoot them out by accident. So a good white light, a good one is, is definitely highly recommended. Um, some good companies right now that are making some, some really interesting stuff. Surefire, uh, is great. They're, they're pricey, but they make good stuff. Um, streamlight is what I run on all of my firearms. I've had great experiences with streamlight and they come at a more affordable, uh, price point. Inforce is starting to come out with a lot more stuff. Um, there's also like, uh, the owl, weapon light, uh, that's out there where the pressure pad for the light is built into the body of the light itself. The convenient part is you can kind of flip it around so it can sit on either side of the rifle. If you're right or left handed, the head of the light can go on either end. Um, it's a pretty, pretty neat concept. It's kind of bulky. Uh, Sam has one. He likes it. Uh, it's just, like I said, it's bulky. Um, and you can't really run it anywhere other than that one position. Uh, but it works for probably about 90% of folks really. Um, and I know with the holidays coming up, I think they're getting ready to have a couple, there's a couple of sales and stuff going on. So it's one to look into. Um, another company that's having stuff coming out right now is uh, crimson trace. Uh, they have of course made, you know, made their mark on the industry by making lasers. Uh, they were purchased just a couple of years ago by, uh, Smith and Wesson. Um, and they're really making a push to get into pistol lights, uh, and optics. Uh, so for what it's worth you can check out some of their stuff they got some rifle lights out there i don't have any experience with crimson trace other than i just know the name um so i would throw it out there uh surefire and streamlight really do seem to be the big two as far as uh rifle lights uh durability wise and what you're you're getting lumen wise uh i know with like surefire and streamlight they have the two different sizes i think the small one like the scout size it's about 350 lumens and then if you get up to the larger ones you get up around a thousand or 1200 lumens um, and there's a couple of reviews online and I can get into it here. Uh, Sage dynamics gets a lot into, uh, flashlights They talk about hotspot and candela. Uh, lumens, isn't the only thing you should look for. Um, you know, you want to look at a couple different things. Uh, but in my opinion, for most people, you, you really just want something that's going to be reliable and it's going to work for you. Um, so those are my recommendations. Uh, do your own research, do your own homework on those, uh, and, you know, just having one is the biggest thing and one that's going to work. Um, after this, you kind of get a little bit more into, uh, we get into like the heart of the rifle, which is your bolt carrier, right? Um, for most of us, you don't need to do anything fancy, right? There's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, some of it may work. Some of it may not, you know, oh, this bolt is full auto rated. Most bolts are, our bolts are full auto rated as long as they're decent. That's not necessarily, in my experience, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily needed unless you're running a full-auto gun. Uh, Most quality bolts will hold up, though. Um, The skeletonized ones where they have pieces and stuff carved out of them or they're, like, coated in special gold or silver coatings and everything. um, Guys, all that does is makes it slicker. Uh, And in appearance, yes, but it it makes it, uh, the coating... Uh, it makes it harder for grime and stuff and, and carbon buildup to stick to it. So you're less likely to have a malfunction. I've had the standard factory, just black coated, uh, bolt carriers, not had any problems with those. Um, so get what you want, um, but get something that's good and reliable. Don't go out and buy one of these like cheap, shitty $65 bolt carriers. Cause if that fails, you're screwed unless you just carry around a spare bolt carrier. Um, personally I've never spent less than like $120 on one I just don't want to have to worry about it okay Um, that right there the barrel and the bolt carrier um, if you can buy them together so you know that they're mated together at the factory um, it's probably best case scenario but those are probably the two biggest components so if you're building you're going through your build list and you're looking for places to skimp out I would not try to save money in those two those two places um so get a good bolt carrier, uh bolt carrier group, whatever. Um yeah, you, you you cannot that that cannot be overstated enough. Um I mean the rest of this is kind of just you get into like furniture and things like that. Uh your stock. Uh there's a lot of options out there. There's like the standard GI stock that comes on most of these now. Um you can get a little bit nicer ones from companies like Magpul or uh, Bravo Company or Mission First. Um <coughs> It really comes down to personal preference. I like the B5 Systems uh, Bravo stock. It gives me a little bit better uh, cheek well when I'm getting down behind the sight. Um, it is a little bit bulky, a little bit heavier. So if you like something a little bit slicker, um, you might like something from BCM or Magpul that's a thin, lightweight, uh, no-drag type of stock. Um, some of them are skeletonized, so they're super light and everything. Again, it, just, it comes down to your preference. Um, either you want a bunch of bulk back there for your cheek or you don't uh, everyone's built a little bit different. I'm a bigger guy. So I kinda, I like to have a little bit more there to get down onto. Um, just, a, just a preference, you know, uh, or if you're running an AR pistol, uh, a brace, right? Um, we talked about pistol braces. Those are designed technically to be wrapped around your forearm when the, the pistol, cause it's technically a pistol is fired. Um, in my opinion, I'm not, I'm not going to recommend anything other than SB tactical. Um, that's what I've used and I've had friends use and it's been great experiences. Um, they have a quality product they're about hundred to 130 bucks for most of them. Um, some of them now, the older ones are even coming with a pistol buffer tube. Uh, like I said, I, I'm not gonna recommend anything else. If you're building an ar pistol you got to go with them it's a great product um it's really common so there's even starting to be some like accessories that are hitting the market so you can mount like a tourniquet or an extra magazine or something in that brace um if you're not sticking your arm through it uh if you're talking about pistol grips and things like that uh again uh, this stuff's all personal preference um i would recommend though you look at if you just have like a you buy a standard lower off the internet and it has like a a2 grip is what it says. Um, the angle on that's a little bit extreme. Uh, Travis Haley has a lot of videos where he, he talks about grip angles and how the human body works. Uh, straight lines are strong and things like that. Um, I really would recommend you guys look at something other than an A2 grip or something with that extreme, almost 45 degree angle coming off the, the, the receiver. Um, I run the Bravo company grip on my 16 inch gun and that's, it's almost vertical. Um, it's super comfortable. It gives you a straight trigger pull. Um, I don't, honestly, I, I think it might be a Voltor grip I have on my 11 and a half inch. I'd have to go back and look at the packaging. I don't even remember. It's been a while since I, uh, since I purchased it. Um, but it really does come down to personal preference. Would you like, um, same with like forward grips and hand stops, um, AR pistols, anything that that's under the 26 inch overall length there, you cannot have a vertical foregrip. Okay. You can't do it uh, without a tack stamp. So you have an angled grip. Um, you can have like a hand stop, like a little nubby looking thing that your hand just pulls against out at the front of the gun. I know Magpul makes several things. So is Bravo company, uh, lots of companies making all kinds of strike industries. There's another one that's out there making stuff. Mission first tactical, uh, Knight's armament. There's all kinds of stuff out there, just depending on how you prefer to shoot, um, <clears throat> and this all changes right it seems like the ATF issues a new opinion letter every couple months and then all of a sudden're we find ourselves back and forth over what uh, what we we run on the ends of our guns um, so just keep that stuff in mind if you're honestly if you're running a 16 inch barrel the world is your oyster you can put whatever you want on there um, and you'll be over the, the the length requirement and you won't have to worry about any of it <clears throat> um, if it's a pistol then then you got some uh, some worries but uh, charging handle, uh, mil spec works fine with us guys. Charging handles are one of those things you kind of see a lot of, a lot of stuff come in and out of, uh, popularity. Um, if it works, run it right. Uh, I know Sam runs regular mill spec on his, cause it's just, it's doesn't snag. It gets the job done. Um, I have the BCM gunfighter charging handle, uh, on my recce, rifle and then i have the Radiant arms raptor which is a ambidextrous charging handle on my 11.5 inch gun again all personal preference lots of good options out there in the aftermarket uh just do the research check the reviews um don't buy unless it's mil spec because the mil spec stuff is proven um it's also widely available so it's cheap um don't get this weird Chinese made stuff that looks, there's a lot of them out there right now. It looks like the, uh, radiant arms Raptor ambidextrous charging hand, handle handle being get it for like $15 on whatever Delta team tactical or whatever website. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know if Delta team sells something like that. It's just the first one that came to mind. Um, don't go buy cheap Chinese made charging handles. That's another piece that if that breaks, you're screwed. Cause then you have no way to cycle the weapon. Um, and unless you have a spare one laying around, you won't be able to use it. Okay, Um, it's it's, you use it to like clear malfunctions. Uh, It's it's completely essential. So get a good one Um, slings. Sam and I kind of talked about slings a couple episodes back, Uh, you know, slings 1.2 point um, comes down to personal preference. A one point is good if you're running a short barrel, right? If you got something in like 300 blackout with a nine inch barrel, or you're running a 10 and a half inch like uh, Mark 18 mod zero build or something single point can be okay. Um, my personal preference, Sam's personal preference, uh, Trevor's personal preference is a two point sling. The reason being you can tighten that thing down and stow it across your back. If you need to, you can get it tight to your body, tight to your, your plate carrier. Uh, it kind of helps keep it out of the way while you're moving. Um, then you can loosen it to help manipulate the, the weapon. Um, you know, with a single-point sling, it, it's just what it is. You can't tighten it down anywhere. It's going to be flopping around. So if you need to go, you know, sling it off to the side and use your hands for something, you're going to have that rifle flop around in front of you causing issues. Uh, so really, a two-point sling is the way to go, in in my opinion, anyways. Um, and you got some extras, right? Uh, Ambed-extras controls for, your, like, your safety or your your uh, bolt release, not really essential um but you can do it if you want uh triggers right you can you can upgrade triggers and you go to fancy lightweight triggers uh here, here's my thing i run mil spec triggers in my guns um i do not consider myself to be i know i'm not a good enough shooter to outshoot the trigger on my gun um most people aren't uh you start getting a weird binary triggers like binary meaning when you pull the trigger, it fires one round, and when you let it go and it resets, it fires a second. People buy that stuff. It's really gimmicky because, oh, I can, you know, if I go fast enough, it's like I'm auto, like, you know, fully automatic. It's like, yeah, well, that's kind of stupid um, and kind of a waste of ammo. You really don't need an ultra light trigger unless you're, like, a really good shooter. Um, and there's even some guys, you look up a... Uh, someone on, on social media Mill spec mojo is the name that he uses on there uh former marine former law or current law enforcement i'm sorry uh he runs Milspec spec triggers on all of his guns and dude's incredibly fast so if you train you'll be fine um you don't need all the gucci trigger kits and everything on your rifle uh if anything especially because rifles aren't like drop safe and stuff it just creates more issues than it's worth in my opinion but you do what you want um lasers right uh Visible lasers really not worth it. Um, if as long as your sights iron, red dot, whatever, as long as they're zeroed and you understand your zero and how to sh- how to shoot with those sights, uh, you'll be fine. A visible laser doesn't really do you any good, and an IR laser definitely doesn't do you any good unless you're running night vision, um, which you know, that then go ahead and you can look at that. I'm not even going to get into it. I don't, I don't have nods, so I don't even know where to start with it. Other than just to say, you probably don't need a IR laser, uh, or a visible laser, um, bipods and stuff like that. Um, they're good, you know, for, uh, studying your shot, whether if you're hunting or you're doing some long distance shooting past that. Uh, I mean, they, they look kind of cool definitely just a bunch of added weight and make it more difficult to get through and around doorways and obstacles and things. So if if you're building something for uh you know, scouting or home defense or anything like you really unless this is basically a target rifle um or maybe a hunting rifle specifically, you probably don't need a bipod. There's a lot of uh there's a lot of information out there right now about bracing off of barricades and how you can wrap your slinger on your forearm and play, you know, pull pull pool cue grip, your rifle and stuff to help brace and everything. Um, there's enough improvised methods out there. Uh, you know, cause you don't see many people in the military running around with bipods. There's, there's been enough improvised methodology, right? With the human anatomy and, and things like that to figure out how to create a secure shooting platform without the need for a bipod. Um, So again, personal preference, do what you want, but it's really uh, just added weight at the front of the weapon, Um, something definitely very easily put on the list of stuff you don't need. Um, So, I mean, building a rifle, this stuff, guys, it can be a lot of fun, um, but there's definitely a learning process depending on your, uh, your purchasing ability, your knowledge, your needs um, buying a rifle off the shelf can be a great start for you. Um, right now, given that you can't find a whole lot in stock online or in physical retailers, uh, building seems to be what a lot of people are looking at. If they know a friend that can help them, um, or maybe they can buy the lower and build the upper themselves or vice versa, or maybe they're just going to YouTube it and they're just going to, you know, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to get through it. Um, It's all good, and it's all good information to have, uh, and I definitely recommend everybody check it out. And if you don't own an AR-15, I think you should. Um, And I also, the only political thing I'm really going to get into, I'll just say, start writing your state representatives now. This is far and away looking like if uh, Biden and Harris take the White House, the most aggressive gun control presidency we'll have ever seen in this country. So start writing your representatives uh, in, in the Senate, in Congress, whatever, right now, and let them know, not you don't want your gun rights taken away. That you you have the right to uh, to self defense. So uh, I hope you learned a lot from this, you guys. Um, I I learned some things putting this all together. Uh, you know, we'll have another episode, you guys, uh, next next week. More information. Uh, we're gonna get back on track. Get more to the prepping. Get back uh, away from all this politics and uh, away from all the bullshit. That's all I got for you, team. Until next time, get out there, train be prepared.